KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. The United States and China have a complicated history. For so long, China was an unknown. We had no embassy, no diplomatic relationship. We really had no idea what was going on there. But what better way to bring two nations together than through music? In 1973, the year after then-President Richard Nixon famously opened China with a visit, the Philadelphia Orchestra toured China for the first time. There were so few Americans in the country in 1973 that to have this charter jet filled with 130 Philadelphians all of a sudden land in Beijing, that was big news. Jennifer Lin is the author and filmmaker of Beethoven in Beijing, a story that highlights the importance and significance of this tour. She says the effects of the tour are still felt to this day. The Philadelphia Orchestra, though, has maintained this contact with China. They went in 73. They went back 20 years later, and they have been back another 10 times, so a dozen times altogether. That's more than any other American orchestra. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we talk with Jennifer Lin about the Philadelphia Orchestra's 1973 trip to China and what it means for U.S. and Chinese relations 50 years later. What is your introduction to wanting to do the documentary? do the book. I know the doc came first, book second, but what what was kind of your origin story wanting to tell this story? I can really trace the origins of these two projects to an assignment I had at the Philadelphia Inquirer in 2008. I worked at the Inquirer for 31 years, and in the 1990s, I was their China correspondent. 2008, my editors asked me if I would go to China and write about the Philadelphia Orchestra. They were touring China in 2008, and it was a special tour because they were commemorating the 35th anniversary of this 1973 tour that they did. I grew up in Philly, so I I kind of remember when they went to China in 1973. I was in high school at the time, but I really didn't know that much about it. So I went with the orchestra in 2008. I covered this concert that they gave, which was the exact same program as they did in 1973. And I was really struck by the degree of nostalgia that people had for this orchestra. And I spoke to a lot of people going to the concert, and they remembered the the tour in 1973. They remember when the Philadelphians were there. And, you know, I I thought I was a China expert, Matt, but I didn't realize what an impact that tour had had. And so I always kept it in the back of my mind that, you know, this is a great story. This is a great Philadelphia story. And I left the Inquirer in 2015, and I pitched the orchestra the idea of doing a documentary because I really believe this is a chapter in Philadelphia history. It's also a chapter in U.S.-China relations that not a lot of people remember. I thought also that this was a story, since it was about music, that really should be seen and heard and not just read about. So I I pitched the orchestra, and they introduced me to Sam Katz, who's a a very prominent Philadelphian who also made kind of a late-in-life segue into filmmaking. And we partnered and produced uh, Beethoven in Beijing, which premiered in 2021 on PBS's Great Performances. So it's been a real adventure. But that really was the catalyst, that assignment in 2008, because um, it really impressed upon me how important this 
trip was, the 1973 trip, to U.S.-China relations. So what I try to do in the documentary as well as in my book is to place the tour within the context of what was happening in the world at the time. And the book comes after, and we were talking off the air, that was kind of uh, the pandemic hit, and yes. you, you dove into it from a book standpoint. So we locked our film March the 1st, 2020. So perfect timing, you know. And we had intended on, I had intended on going to all these film festivals that we had gotten into and, and promoting the film and talking about it. And of course, nothing happened the way we wanted it to happen. And all of the film festivals were virtual. So, you know, I was stuck in my attic office with nothing to do, basically. So I decided to turn a lemon into lemonade. And I I had always kind of had in the back of my mind turning my research into a book, but the pandemic gave me uh, a reason really to do that. When I started researching the tour and the orchestra's China legacy, it was like 2015. So I really had spent years working on it and researching it before we even started filming. So I had a ton of research, like not only interviews, but other material that I had gathered. Um, when the pandemic happened and I decided to write a book about it, I really wanted it to be an oral history because a lot of the pe people who experienced the tour were still alive and they had fresh memories and uh, important memories about the trip to China. So I went back to people. I re-interviewed people. I found new people to interview. I also went to the media coverage of 1973, and I really mined the material there. I gathered interviews, media coverage. Some people gave me journals. There was a diplomat on the ground whose uh, late wife kept a journal, and he shared that with me, and I could glean material from that. And I also found a trove of unclassified diplomatic cables between the American diplomats who were on the ground in 1973 we didn't have an embassy yet because we didn't have relations with China, but there were people on the ground working there. And the cables were to their colleagues in the State Department in Washington. So those, you know, unclassified cables really showed me how important this was in terms of diplomacy, because they're deconstructing every moment of this tour and reading into it kind of where China and the U.S. were going. Because at the time, and again, this is the point of the documentary as well as the book, we didn't know. We didn't know China at the time, what was happening. President Nixon had only made his trip to China in 1972. And really, this tour grew out of that. It was a way of trying to improve relations with the Chinese people. And the Philadelphia Orchestra was sent uh, almost as cultural ambassadors. For almost a quarter century, I think 49 to 72, China was a giant black box for the U.S. once it went communist and it was just like this, didn't know anything about it. 1972, as you mentioned, President Richard Nixon famously goes to China, has a very successful trip. China, as it turned out, I think was very concerned about Russia and kind of, in the documentary, the one gentleman you talked to kind of winked at the U.S. and the U.S. winked back, which is, a, I think, a great way to kind of 
see it. And if you dig into the whole Nixon trip, kind of the intrigue and the secrecy behind that is a fascinating story in its own. But, uh, yeah, that that's what really makes this is people didn't know what China was all about. You know, people could be riding around on unicorns. Nobody, nobody knew. That's what makes it so fascinating. Nixon and Mao were p- playing a high-stakes geopolitical chess match. And Nixon made an important move by deciding to visit China. And at your right, Matt, it was a way of basically alienating the Soviet Union. And so from 1949 to 1972, prior to Nixon's visit, we had no diplomatic relations with China. We had no embassy. And my family, my father immigrated from Shanghai. We could not communicate with our our family in Shanghai. We could write letters, but the letters would have been opened and read by the authorities. We couldn't place a phone call. We couldn't send them money. We, we couldn't travel to China. China was closed. And we were considered, you know, their adversaries. So in 1972, Nixon takes this step to renew relations. And in the wake of that, he wanted to change perceptions of Americans among the Chinese people. So you have to remember that from 19 – if you were born in 1949 and if you had no kind of relatives or relations to Americans, you grew up hearing – that we were the American wolves. That's what we were known as. You know, in the United States, it was no better. They were, China was known as Red China. You know, they were the communists. And so there was this, you know, this, this tension. So the, the idea behind cultural diplomacy is we use culture as a way of improving relations. So the Philadelphia Orchestra was sent to China basically to kind of warm the Chinese population to to Americans. And it was really a brilliant move because it was, they were so well received. The other thing that modern audiences should keep in mind is prior to the pandemic, there were, I think, like 20,000 Americans flying to China a day and 20,000 Chinese flying to the United States a day. There was so much interaction. In 1973, one of the stories I read mentioned, and this could be hyperbolic, but I don't know. But at the time, they said that there were only about 100 Americans in China on the ground in 1973. So even if it's off by like, you know, 10, there were so few Americans in the country in 1973 that to have this charter jet filled with 130 Philadelphians all of a sudden land in Beijing, that was big news. And everywhere they went, they caused, uh, you know, a reaction. They were the center of attention. So it really was a moment. And and again, I think modern audiences, they don't remember or they forget or they don't appreciate that 50 years ago, and it was only 50 years ago, there was so little contact and so little understanding of, of both countries. One thing I would like to dig into, and I don't mean this, obviously, the Philadelphia Orchestra, phenomenal, but how do they get positioned as kind of this cultural olive branch. Like there had been lobbying behind the scenes yes. to, that they were wanted to be, if something happened, they wanted to be on the front step? Yes. Good question. So Eugene Ormandy was the celebrated conductor of the Philadelphia Orchestra. He was also a shrewd politician. He wanted to be the first American orchestra in China. You know, he he was paying attention to the news. He knew about the 
the the uh, ping pong players, the American ping pong players who went to China prior to the Nixon visit. And he started working all of his political channels, senators, congressmen. He was having them lobby on his behalf. He wanted to go to China after Nixon made his big move. Luckily for Ormandy, two things were lucky for Ormandy. Nixon liked him. Nixon was a, a, a pianist. He appreciated classical music growing up. And he you know, told Ormandy that as a, a young person, he listened to the albums of the Philadelphia Orchestra. So he had a, he had a sweet spot for Eugene Ormandy and the Philadelphia Orchestra. At the same time in China, the Chinese leaders had a soft spot for the Philadelphia Orchestra because in 1940, China was at war with Japan. The Chinese government was in the United States trying to drum up support for their war effort. Uh, the Philadelphia Orchestra had a benefit concert in 1940 to raise funds for medical relief in China. And the Chinese side never forgot that. So when it came time to pick that first American orchestra to go to China, Nixon already had an affinity for the Philadelphia Orchestra. Ormandy was lobbying Nixon. And in China, the Chinese also had an affinity for the Philadelphia Orchestra. So in some ways, they were the only orchestra to send. And the reason you would send an orchestra, too, is it's such a, a statement, a cultural statement. To see an orchestra performing Beethoven is, is so inspiring that there was a real desire on the American side to send an orchestra. And in many ways, it could only be the Philadelphia Orchestra. And if I remember the timeline, it was February, March, where Nixon calls Ormandy and ext officially extends the invite. And then they go in September. So that's seven-ish months. Right. That had to be quite the whirlwind seven months to put something like this together. I mean, it would be a lot if you're going to a place you're very familiar with, let alone, once again, kind of this black box. Typically, when the orchestra travels, it takes them at least a year to prepare. So you're correct. Um, Kissinger made a trip to Beijing in February 1973. As soon as he got home uh, to Washington, he went to the Oval Office, and he and Nixon called Ormandy to invite him to go to China. The thing that complicated the trip was not only the short timeline, February to September, but also, remember, this was not just uh, a, a performance. This was diplomacy. And the Chinese side in particular treated this as if they were negotiating some sort of treaty. So things like where they would play, how many times they would play, what they were play, what they would play, that was really uh, involved a lot of negotiations. And there were certain composers that the Philadelphians wanted to perform, and they were, those were nixed by the Chinese side. They were not interested in any Russian composers because they were at odds with the Soviet Union at the time. So they had to have their program vetted. And that doesn't happen. Like if the Philadelphia Orchestra goes to London or Vienna, the governments in London or Vienna don't really have any say in the program. But this was different. This was diplomacy. And we look at this kind of through the prism of wonderment and this historical marker. But there were a lot of people that did not want this to happen, correct? Like that were worried about 
you know, if we do this, are we abandoning Taiwan? Like, once again, you talk about diplomacy, there was a lot of politics in this as well. Exactly. So there were people who were not happy with what Nixon was doing. As you cited, particularly people who were supportive of Taiwan, one of the musicians, uh, Renard Edwards, who's a violist in the orchestra and still performing with the orchestra, he remembered how at one concert someone stood up and said, you know, please don't go to China. So there was some pushback. The orchestra administration wanted to do it, but there, in, in the general public, there was a little bit of pushback. One of the fascinating kind of sidebars I took from the documentary is when they go, the the pilot taking them into China yeah. is gets on the ground and is like, boy, man, I'm glad that worked out because I really didn't know where I was going because it was yeah. such a that's just fascinating to me. Like things we take for granted, but like that is that was really something. I love that anecdote. Herb Light, who's a violinist retired, told me that he said when they were approaching Shanghai, so they flew from Philadelphia to Honolulu to Japan to Shanghai to Beijing. And when they were approaching Shanghai, he said the plane kept circling and circling. And they're like, what's going on? And then afterwards, the pilot said, never been here before. I wanted to make sure I was coming in at the right place. Then they went from immediately from Shanghai. They took a Chinese jet to Beijing. They arrived around midnight and they were greeted, you know, with full honors on the tarmac. Uh, VIPs were there, diplomats, musicians to greet them. We need to take a break. We will have more with Jennifer Lynn right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation about the 50th anniversary of the Philadelphia Orchestra's first visit to China. And our guest is author and filmmaker Jennifer Lynn. Yeah, so now tell, tell us a little bit about the, the trip itself. I think it was September 12th. Uh, that they arrived, they left on the tenth. They arrived the twelfth. Am I is my timeline correct? I think that's right. They left Philadelphia on the the tenth. Um, the police and fire band played for them. Uh, Mayor Rizzo was there to send them off, and they flew to Honolulu first. Then they had went to Japan, and I, I they arrived late on the twelfth. And I think it's the thirteenth that they actually touched down in Beijing, or around midnight. Then, so yeah, I mean, this was a highly choreographed tour. You know, there were six concerts. There were four in Beijing, two in Shanghai. It was very different than the way the Philadelphia Orchestra usually tours. One of the big things was that Eugene Ormandy was expected to do a lot of diplomatic things like attend big banquets and dinners, be a tourist and go to the Great Wall. And these are things that, you know, Ormandy was a bit of a diva. So these were things that he was not accustomed to doing. But he was convinced that, you know, uh, the state of U.S.-China affairs rested on whether or not he would be at the banquet and toasting his Chinese host. So Ormandy was a sport. But the, uh, you know, one of my favorite anecdotes in both the the movie and and the book is uh, the young American diplomat on the ground whose job it was to basically escort Ormandy and the orchestra through China. His name was Nick Platt. So Nick Platt had to deal with his Chinese counterparts on organizing this. And, you know, one of the requests that came in at the 11th hour, right at literally as the orchestra was landing in China, was high-level leaders in China wanted the orchestra to play Beethoven's Sixth Symphony. The orchestra came prepared to play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, dun, 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 you know, that one. And so it was up to Nick Platt to convince Ormandy 
to change one of his programs to play the six. So Nick Platt on the plane ride from Shanghai to Beijing is sitting next to Ormandy and says, Maestro, um, there's a request from high above that you play the six. And Ormandy's like, I didn't bring the music. I'm not prepared to play the six. And plus, I don't really like the six. So then it was up to Nick Platt to to convince him that, yes, in fact, he should play the six. And he kind of made it up as he went along, the reasons why. He said, you know, China became the People's Republic on a peasant revolution. The six kind of sounds pastoral. It's like, you know, peasants and farmers. So that's why they like the six so much. So Ormandy, you know, by the end of this flight from Shanghai to Beijing was persuaded to uh, change one of his programs and perform the six. Now, they didn't have the music, though. They didn't bring the scores. So the Chinese host said, no problem, we'll get you the scores. So they basically sent, like, military jets to Shanghai to, and had scores from the orchestra in Beijing, the Central Philharmonic. They had all these scores delivered to the Philadelphia musicians. They were all handwritten. Wow. The reason... This was the Cultural Revolution, and at the time, Western music was not allowed to be performed, and a lot of the classical musicians in China had their scores destroyed by Red Guards. This was a very chaotic, violent political movement that had started in 1966, so they had to handwrite their scores. So the Philadelphians get these scores, and there are all these mistakes filled. But one of the violinists told me, he said, this is the Philadelphia Orchestra, this is Beethoven. We could perform this with our eyes closed or with pages missing, so it didn't make a difference. They performed the sixth. It was beautiful. And at that concert, the wife of Chairman Mao actually made a surprise appearance. So she was a you know, highly political, important character in China, and she showed up. So that's why they did the sixth, because she wanted it. And she was very instrumental specifically in the Cultural Revolution. Am I correct? Yes. She was basically leading the Cultural Revolution. Um, later, you know, after the Cultural Revolution ended, they were dubbed the Gang of Four, these four leaders who were uh, basically engineering this this political campaign. And Madame Mao was, uh, you know, at the forefront of that. Um, during the Cultural Revolution, there was a desire to get rid of anything Western or old from Chinese culture and only to perform revolutionary music, revolutionary operas or ballets. So um, it was called cultural revolution, but really it was a very destructive, violent period. By 1973, things had calmed down quite a bit, but there were still restrictions on what you could perform. What was the impact of this trip in total, kind of in the moment and then taking it? Because you said as we started talking that, you know, 2008 people are still referencing and looking back on this fondly. Like, talk about the impact of this. The impact is still being felt today in 2023. I think, you know, it's it's hard to quantify, but to qualify, it really did have an effect at kind of softening perceptions of Americans at a time when, you know, we were trying to improve relations. So the Philadelphia Orchestra, though, has maintained this contact with China. They went in 73. 
They went back 20 years later, and they have been back another 10 times, so a dozen times altogether. That's more than any other American orchestra. So they have maintained this relationship in China. What's interesting, and this is part of more a part of the film than the book, the book focuses mostly on 1973. The documentary Beethoven in Beijing looks at what has happened since then. So after Mao died, after the Cultural Revolution ended, all the restrictions on Western culture were, were lifted. Now, there were classical musicians in China before the Philadelphia Orchestra got there. You know, China has some very fine old conservatories and orchestras. But <clears throat> when Mao died, suddenly these classical musicians were once again able to resume their lives. And so the Philadelphia Orchestra in the ensuing years has really maintained its relationship with Chinese musicians and orchestras. In the 1980s, because there had been this period of repression, there was all this pent-up demand and interest in Western classical music. So suddenly conservatories reopened, orchestras were allowed to perform whatever they wanted, and there was a real resurgence, uh, a real revival of interest in classical music. One of the people in our film calls it Beethoven fever. You know, the Philadelphians came before this, this happened, this revival, but after the, all the, the controls were lifted, and in the ensuing decades, the Philadelphia Orchestra really has maintained a relationship, a close relationship in China. And they perform there. You know, I traveled with them three times to cover their tours. So people just remember the Philadelphians. They remember 1973. You know, I just met uh, a couple from Roxborough. The wife was, a, a, I think, a pianist. The husband was a cellist. And they were in China in 1973. They were music students, but they had been sent to the countryside to work on a farm like all young people had. Anyway, in 1973, the husband got a ticket to go to the Philadelphia Orchestra concert. The wife did not, so she snuck in. She wanted to go so badly, she snuck in. And so after the first piece, she said that she heard the Pines of Rome. She said the usher realized that she didn't have a seat, and she was just kind of sandwiched between her friends, so she they kicked her out of the concert. But, you know, that left such a lasting impression. The whole tour left a lasting impression on a on a generation of older Chinese, particularly musicians. And it's interesting, you know, we talk 1973, U.S.-China relations are just starting to come together. Here in 2023, things are rocky, to say the least, on multiple fronts. Talk a little bit about that, that we're... I don't we're not close we're not back to where we were in 1973 as far as having mm-hmm. absolutely no relationship but we're unfortunately probably closer to that than we should be. Yeah, I just wrote a column for the Philadelphia Inquirer and the way I started it was back in 73 the relationship between the US and China was bad but improving. 50 years later the relationship is bad and getting worse. Really dangerously so. And I'm often asked, the Philadelphia Orchestra is often asked, like, what's going to become of these sort of cultural interactions? You know, it's not only the Philadelphia Orchestra that goes to China on a regular basis. It's every top orchestra in the world 
includes Beijing and Shanghai on their tour schedules. And the reason goes back to what I was just explaining before. There's been a real revival of interest. The market is growing in China for classical music. So it's it's really unclear, I think, what's going to happen in terms of future exchanges, not just orchestras, but all sorts of cultural exchanges, all sorts of educational, scientific, medical exchanges. I mean, we're, we're really in a dangerous period. We need to maintain these other types of relationships, cultural, educational relationships, in order to hel- have a healthy connection, a healthy relationship with China. And I think the political noise is really leading us down a dangerous path. So we've talked about the documentary. We've talked about the book. People hear this, and I don't know how they could hear this and not want to learn more. How can they check all that great work out? The movie is currently available on the PBS Passport streaming platform. And we're having a a screening in Philadelphia. And the book is available through Temple University Press. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.